Hi, Guy Powell here, and welcome to the next episode of The Backstory on the Shroud of Turin. If you haven't already done so, please visit guypowell.com and sign up for more episodes. I am the author of the just-released new book, The Only Witness, a historical fiction, a Christian historical fiction, tracing a possible history of the Shroud over the last two millennia. Today, we're speaking with Helmut Feldsman. He is a syndenologist since 1970, and he's one of the original members of the uh, Shroud Sciences Group. He was a professor at the University of Munich, CEO of an IT company, a very successful IT company, and uh, a coach and trauma therapist, as well as uh, he wrote a book, uh, a very interesting book, and we'll talk maybe a little bit about that, called The Author uh, he's the author is uh, of the memoirs of Judas Iscariot. So, Helmut, thank you so much for being here. Welcome. Yeah, thank you. So we can talk together. Thanks for absolutely. So uh, definitely looking forward to my uh, to our conversation. I uh, used to be fluent in German, so hopefully I'll be able to understand a lot of what you're talking about as we're going back and forth in English and German. And then, of course, the uh, the conversation will be translated both for total English and then totally in German. So tell us about your backstory on the Shroud of Turin. How did you get involved in it? Uh, well, I came to the Shroud of Turin at the end of the 1970s. Okay, I'll continue in German. It's easier for me. Ulst was a well-known shroud expert in Germany at the time. His book convinced me that the shroud is real and that Jesus must have actually lain underneath it. At that time, I was a member of an evangelical free church in Munich, a group that came from the United States. At the time, there was the Jesus People Movement in the USA. Many hippies were searching for meaning and found Jesus. One time, there was a group at Marienplatz. I was approached and very quickly became one of them. It also had something to do with the fact that I had a near-death experience or something similar to that when I was 19. I was driving home from a seminar alone in my car, not thinking about anything in particular, and suddenly I had a very special experience. It was suddenly the presence of pure love in the car, pure, unconditional love. That was totally overwhelming for me. There was also a voice that spoke to me that she loves me and that she is happy that I want to find life. From that moment on, I was searching. What did I experience there? Was that God? I grew up Catholic, but I couldn't connect to it. I studied Indian saints, started to practice transcendental meditation. Exactly at this time, this group was standing at Marienplatz. I was talking to a young woman who said to me, if life has met you as a person, it can only have been Jesus. That gave me a lot to think about. The love these people had for each other immediately reminded me of that love in the car. I really wanted to know how they live, what they do, and so I became one of them. Then every Saturday, we stood at Marienplatz in Munich and told people about Jesus. At that time, I came across this book by Professor Bulst, that fit exactly into my worldview at the time. It was clear to me from the evidence that Jesus must have been lying underneath. But how did the image come about? The formation of the image had to have something to do with the energy coming out of the body. It's not possible with a corpse, though, so it's plausible that the energy was something supernatural, that there must have been a flash of energy at the moment of the resurrection or something like that. For me, the Shroud of Turin was scientific proof of the correctness of my belief in the resurrection of Christ, on which Christian belief depends. This went well for a while, until 20 years later I came across another German book entitled Jesus Did Not Die on the Cross, The Message of the Shroud of Turin. 
I got angry and thought, that's not possible. How can someone write such nonsense? That's heresy. But I bought the book anyway, because even then I was very interested in this cloth. It immediately gave me a sleepless night, because it quickly became clear that there were many indications that the man under the cloth, that is Jesus, could not have been dead. I took this as a scientific result. These were statements by coroners who were able to justify this. There is too much blood on the cloth for a corpse, and the creation of the image can be explained then. The energy coming out of the body must have been body heat. The three-dimensional property of the image can also be explained. It says that the further away the cloth was from the body, the lighter the image. The closer it was, the darker it is, because the more image substance was formed. This corresponds to a thermal image produced by a living body on a cloth. This means that the higher the temperature, the faster the chemical process took place that led to the creation of the image and the more pictorial substance formed in the same amount of time. If you assume someone is alive, the Shroud of Turin is no longer a riddle, but you can explain the image and the blood and other things. That does not mean that the image can be reproduced. It is very difficult to create a corresponding test arrangement here, so I don't want to volunteer to be the best test subject but there is at least one possibility, one direction in which research can point. I've done research in this direction myself, as has Rodney Hoare, by the way, as described in his 1994 book. He was president of the British Shroud Society at the time, and he also tells the story in the book, The Shroud is Genuine. At that time, he went to a team of coroners with enlargements of the cloth and wanted to have the cause of death explained to him. The forensic experts studied the images for a long time and came to the conclusion that the man wasn't dead. Huare said, at least the side wound should have been fatal. But they answered to him that if the spear came from below, then it did not result in a mortal injury at the location where the wound is. The coroners concluded that based on the image, the man could not have been dead. They also explained that the image could only have come about through a chemical process and that this would be temperature sensitive. A corpse cools faster on the extremities than on the torso. That is, in the case of a corpse, no image would be expected on the arms and feet. However, the darkness of the image is almost the same all over the entire body. This indicates that the temperature in the body must have been pretty much the same everywhere, and that's only possible if the blood is still circulating. The authors of the book, Jesus Did Not Die on the Cross, from 1998 commissioned a forensic medical report from a professor, Bonte. He was president of the World Association of Forensic Doctors at the time and was impartial on the matter. He didn't even know at first that the photos presented to him came from the Shroud of Turin, and he came to the same conclusion, that above all the strong flow of blood from the lance wound was incompatible with a corpse. He was then confronted with information from his Italian colleague, Professor Bologna, who said that the blood could have leaked out of the cloth when the body was being transported in the cloth. This would create excess pressure on some parts of the body so that large amounts of blood could escape from a corpse. Bonte replied that there must be smears, but he couldn't find any. In his opinion, the process could only have happened in such a way that the cloth was first laid down and then the body was placed on it, and then the other half of the cloth was laid over it. The body couldn't have been transported in the cloth. You would be able to see that. But if he was only placed on the cloth, these amounts of blood are only possible if the heart was still beating. By the standards of the ancients, he was certainly dead. 
but by today's standards, he must have been in a coma. These remarks were, of course, a surprise for me. Especially for me as a Christian, I thought, that's unbelievable, an old cloth is questioning 2,000 years of Christian theology. But for me, objective scientific facts, that is, hard facts, rank higher than religious truths. That truth of faith should take precedence in such conflicts is not the way I think. Now I have a really consistent worldview. Scientific knowledge and truths of faith complement each other. And I have to say something else. I don't think I would have bought the book Jesus Did Not Die on the Cross if an unconscious preparation had not already taken place in me. This happened because I had attended many healings and self-discovery seminars during this time. At that time, I had major mental and physical problems. I had a duodenal ulcer that kept bleeding and was hospitalized twice because I passed out from excessive blood loss. I realized I had to do something and thought, I wouldn't survive this otherwise, it's dangerous. So I started participating in such seminars I can say I experienced God there as unconditional love, like an unconditionally loving father or mother. I don't believe that God has a gender, but that he is pure love and true love is always unconditional. That was exactly the love that I had experienced during that journey in the car. After reading this book on the message of the shroud, it was clear to me that Jesus was not dead on the cross, and as a consequence, there was no sacrificial death either. Then there was also no supernatural resurrection, but everything happened within this framework of the laws of nature. But I immediately realized that it's actually not that bad. If God really loves us, then he doesn't need a cruel sacrifice to be able to forgive. Real love forgives unconditionally. That means God loves me anyway. Whether Jesus really died on the cross or whether he was just presumed dead makes no difference in the relationship between God and me and you and all other people. And whether we have eternal life cannot depend on whether something specific happened or didn't happen 2,000 years ago. It can only depend on who we really are, whether we really are eternal beings who only show up for a certain time in this life and therefore death is not real. If so, then eternal life does not depend on whether or not a historical event took place in a particular way. This made it possible for me to correct my worldview. Now it's no longer a problem for me. I think we only see what we really want to see. I experienced that in the Shroud Science Group. If someone doesn't want to see something, no matter how clear it is in front of their eyes, they won't see it. But that's totally okay with me. Yeah, let me uh, interrupt you there. That, uh, thank you. And uh, I'm, I'm so glad that we're not going to speak about anything controversial this morning. So, uh, <laughs> no, I'm, I'm just kidding. So, you know, it's, uh, it's interesting. There are probably a couple of things we can agree on. Um, although I, I will admit, uh, you know, for me, I mean, as you, you know, as you call it, you, you know, your, 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 your belt build, your, the, what you're, you know, you look at the world with. And um, what is interesting is certainly as a Christian, you know, we believe, uh, I believe uh, that as a Christian, uh, you know, that he died on the cross and, and apparently, you know, then based on what you're saying is it's possible that he didn't die on the cross and he was still alive while in the tomb. I think the thing, though, that we can definitely agree on is, uh, you know, God's love for us uh, is greater than than anything. And so, uh, you know, why? I mean, I understand your question, you know, why would Jesus have to die or why would he even have to suffer on the cross or die in such an un, you know, in such an ungodly way? So, uh, yeah, very interesting. Uh, there's a couple of, uh, I'm glad we're going to be able to, you know, talk through a little bit of both sides. So uh, with that, 
then uh, so how did you come to believe that uh, Jesus survived the crucifixion that that he was actually able to uh, survive the wounds and the uh, the piercing on his hands and his feet and then of course the piercing in his side how do you how do you think that uh, it can be reflected in 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 what your what your thinking is I think Jesus was extremely close to death and there must have been good people who helped him who were also very well versed in medical things. I think that could only have been the Essenes. It makes sense to assume that Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea were Essenes. Among the Essenes, there were people who were called therapists and who already had a great deal of healing knowledge back then. The burial, as described in the New Testament, seems to have been conducted more according to medical issues. Aloe and myrrh are medicinal herbs for skin wounds. And above all, they made sure that Jesus came down from the cross as quickly as possible. Pilate didn't want to believe that he was already dead. The lance was then stabbed and no reaction was evident. So it was assumed he was dead. His lower legs were not broken. If so, no rescue would have been possible. A tomb must have been found quickly in the immediate vicinity. I was in Jerusalem in the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. The distance between the grave and the place of execution is only a few meters. This was the only way he could quickly get out of the public and a staged funeral could take place, but based on medical requirements. And of course, Jesus wanted to go to his disciples as soon as possible because they were completely desperate. If he had been seen alive, that would have been a big problem for the rescuers, because they all acted at the risk of their lives. If they had been caught, they would have been crucified with Jesus, and the Essenes in particular would have had a tremendous problem. Caiaphas was a Pharisee. He would have raged and done everything for the Essenes to be framed as conspirators against the Romans, which would have strengthened his power. It must have all been very dramatic. If we compare this perspective with the biblical reports, some things were certainly exaggerated religiously in order to give the whole thing more importance. I don't think Jesus walked through a wall before meeting his disciples. I also believe that Jesus initially had trouble convincing his disciples that it was him. Jesus wished to be known as himself in his natural body and not as a supernatural appearance. He asked for something to eat. In the Gospel of Luke, he says, Behold, my hands and my feet, it is I myself. Touch me and see a ghost doesn't have flesh and bones, as you can see with me. Thomas only believed when he had the possibility to put his hand in his side wound. For me, resurrection reports are more or less historical. Of course, Jesus had to flee soon, because anyone could have seen from his wounds that he was a survivor of an execution. He couldn't have kept it a secret for long. On the other hand, Jesus even wanted to work publicly again. I think Nicodemus probably experienced a fit of desperation when Jesus told him that he believed, God will take care of me. Paul writes in Corinthians that 500 brothers saw him at the same time, some of whom are still alive. So ask them. All of this speaks very strongly for the fact that this actually happened historically, but within the framework of the laws of nature. Still, you could say it was a miracle. It was not to be expected that this would happen, but I also believe that Jesus himself had a very strong will to live. I'm convinced he wanted to go back and fulfill his mission. He was only in a coma when he was laid in his grave. Yeah, so he, uh, he then survived somehow the, uh, the crucifixion. He uh, may have been in a coma while he was being laid in the tomb. And, um, and he was able to survive the wounds, including the spear wound on the side. And, uh, <clears throat> and then uh, he 
if he, I guess if he was still alive and awake and had the strength, then he would have been able to um, move the stone away, covering the, 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 the entryway to the tomb. And then he shows up uh, at the, um, you know, in the upper room with the uh, disciples. So uh, would he, do you think he would have been able to walk and uh, uh, within a few days, given the wounds that he had in his, his feet and, and uh, things like that? I think at some point, Helper's probably heard a rattle and then rolled the stone away and realized that he was conscious again. If you play through the scenario, then the Helpers knew that he was still alive. Surely then the tomb must have been watched. They had to get him out of the grave as quickly as possible and remove the traces of the healing treatment. However, then came the women who wanted to anoint the corpse on Sunday morning. That was of course not planned, so both sides were surprised. With Mark it was a youth in white robes, then two youths, and then two angels. Men in light robes, that speaks for a scene novices. They were in the process of putting the two cloths together and removing the remaining traces. I don't think Jesus walked a part of the way with the Emmaus disciples. I cannot imagine that. But that he wanted to visit his disciples as soon as possible. Two other men probably supported and helped him there. He managed a few steps from the entrance to the room of the disciples somehow. What energy he must have had, what strength. Yeah, yeah. Well, it, um, I, I mean, I, I, I kind of see your points on, um, uh, you know, on, on a, a, a different interpretation and uh, of the of the of the gospels and and then what happened it's um uh you know it it does kind of fly in the face of of most if not all christians it's kind of like uh you know you have uh you have jesus died he was resurrected and that's kind of the the big piece that that uh that's part of you know our faith certainly part of my faith and um, uh, does that does that kind of how does that affect uh, how do you see that affecting the faith of of the more traditional believers that says that he died was buried and then uh, was resurrected does that make that that preaching of that part useless or or how does that how does that come out okay that is a very important point and i would like to say very clearly that i see myself as a descendant of jesus and that is a great concern of mine and this experience in the car that I see many things fundamentally differently. I am still committed to the Lutheran community here in Holzkirchen, and I will also have discussion evenings with the Father there, where everyone is invited and where the faith and doubts can be discussed freely. When I sit in the coffin and then the confession of faith is prayed, born of the Virgin Mary and to risen in heaven, where did he fly to? To Saturn? Right of the moon or left of the moon? Please. I have to say that this is an ancient worldview. These are ancient myths, and it is perhaps really time to look at such things officially. And when I think, when I see how the people so nicely also pray to the Father and do not lead us so that we have to beg him not to do that, it is important to think about what you actually believe. I believe that the fundamental message of Jesus is love. He said that everything depends on love, even the commandments, that you should love God and your neighbor as yourself, and that is true even if he died on the cross or not. And I believe that this is a message for the whole world, which humanity can connect to beyond religion. And the question is, of course, what Jesus actually died for. 
If not for our sins, that's also something. If you think about it, do you have to negotiate with love? Do you have to pay a price? What kind of love is that? Yes, there are also such ancient ideas. So I think Jesus died for two reasons. There is an external reason, namely because he committed himself to the people's religion. He questioned the service of sacrifice in the British because the sins are forgiven here. The religious system has hit the mark. The whole business model is going to go down the drain. If it doesn't need animals anymore, no more victims, no more temples. If people say once, no, sins are forgiven, yes, it was clear that all the power and the foundation of money was simply put in question by him, so he had to go. The driving force were the Jews and not the Romans. But that's the external reason, and the inner reason is that he wanted it. And that is a big secret. Why can someone want to be crucified? Jesus could have flown to the end. And we know from the story of the baptism, he would have had a good place, namely King Abgar, who invited him, wrote him a letter, because he suffered from leprosy and heard about this miracle healer in Palestine and asked him to come and heal him. So we would have liked to have picked him up and he could have written a few more beautiful books about the kingdom of God, but he didn't. The question is, why didn't he do it? That's the question. What does Jesus say about it? There was this scene in the map of Gethsemane where he was arguing with himself. No. So uh, let me uh, break in there because we're, we're getting a little bit out of time. But uh, an interesting story about being uh, possibly that he went up to, uh, to King Abgar, who was up in Edessa, modern day eastern Turkey, uh, that, that that may have been where he as a living Jesus went. Um, one last question, and that is, um, so what do, you, what do you see as kind of, for the Shroud, what do you see as kind of the next big thing for the Shroud? Uh, certainly there's image formation thoughts, whether he was alive or whether he was dead. Uh, what do you see kind of as the, the next big thing for, uh, for the Shroud? I think new carbon dating is overdue. Unfortunately, the Catholic Church owns the cloth. Since radiocarbon dating, there has been a demand to allow independent research on the cloth and also to allow new radiocarbon dating. When the shroud was restored in 2002, all burned areas were cut out. That would have been more than enough material for a new radiocarbon dating. The church didn't want that. The latest information I have is that it has been said that as long as Francis is Pope there will be no new radiocarbon dating. And what happens after that we will see. The Catholic Church does not want to clear up this scandal. That's obvious. From my perspective, the Shroud of Turin is the biggest corpse in the basement of the Catholic Church. The first to openly speak of fraud was again Professor Bolst, whose book I read. As early as 1990, two years after the dating, he published the book in German. The title translated, Fraud on the Shroud of Turin, the Manipulated Carbon Test. There is a good chance to suggest that the samples were exchanged and that the pieces of cloth that were tested were actually made of a material that came from the Middle Ages, but not from the Shroud. The two main characters, namely the Cardinal of Turin and Dr. Tite of the British Museum, after cutting out the samples, went into an adjacent room to pack them up. There was no notary, no independent witness present, just the two. It is clear that the chain of evidence has been broken, and for this reason alone, the results are scientifically worthless, no matter what actually happened. It cannot be verified that the tested pieces have been really from the cloth. This could be overlooked if everything else had gone smoothly in this story. But so many questions have arisen and were not clarified. 
protocols have not been followed, nothing has been resolved. For example, the person who cut out the samples said later in the Paris conference that he cut out three pieces about the same size. He even distributed the location sketch with three pieces. However, four pieces have arrived at the institutes. In Arizona, it was two pieces. When this came out during the conference, there were questions that were not answered satisfactory. These are things where you have to say, well, folks, what really happened here? And I think the only way to reconstitute the test is to repeat the whole radiocarbon dating process, but this time under transparent, impeccable conditions. I think if the Catholic Church really wants to be the Church of Jesus Christ, it should be interested in the truth first and foremost. One should not hinder the clarification of the truth, as it happened, for example, in the abuse scandals. Yeah, uh, there's so many things about the that the carbon radiocarbon dating that uh, were just uh, you know to your point about uh, losing the evidence chain uh, when tight uh, when Professor Tight and uh, the cardinal went into the separate room. Uh, very interesting. Um, I'm going to have to uh, end our conversation there. Uh, certainly very controversial. Uh, I think we're going to have to agree to disagree. On uh, on a lot of uh, the uh, on our beliefs and your beliefs as to whether Jesus died in the tomb or died on the cross, but uh, you know what I really appreciate is that you raise a lot of interesting questions and uh, and raising questions and answering those questions is a way to uh, continue to test our faith and make sure that. Uh, you know, that first of all, like you said, why God loves us above all else. There's nothing else that can, yes. that can come between that love. And, uh, and so to some extent, whether Christ died or didn't die or what have you, uh, is, is certainly secondary to that. Um, and I, and like I said, we'll agree to disagree on that and certainly appreciate the, the time you took today and uh, look forward to uh, speaking with you again and going through some of the other uh, arguments that you have and, uh, and go from there. I think that we agree on some core points, that God is, that he exists, and that Jesus showed us who God is. That's the most important thing. That is, that is definitely... Uh, that is definitely the most important thing. So thank you so much, Helmut. Very much appreciated. And, uh, and your perspectives totally new. Uh, something that I've not uh, come across, actually, I don't think ever in my life that, you know, that Jesus would have potentially survived the, uh, the crucifixion and then the, uh, and the burial in the tomb. Otherwise, uh, is, there, uh, is there somewhere that people can reach you and find out more about you and uh, where can they find your book, The uh, uh, the Memoirs of uh, Judas Iscariot? I have written another book that is also available in English, No Death for Jesus, The Shroud of Turin, and The Resurrection of Christ. Everything is described there in detail. Here are the test samples, a photo of the thermal image with a thermal imaging camera, which shows some characteristics of the image on the cloth. Here's a nice shot of Raymond Rogers, whom I appreciate very much, but who sadly died much too young. I also have a website, www.shroud.info. Okay. Fantastic. So www.shroud.info, www.shroud.info. Helmut, thank you so much. And uh, to the audience, please stay tuned for many other videos in this series of 
the backstory on the Shroud of Turin, please visit GuyPowell.com and sign up for more episodes. And if you like this one, please rate it with five stars. Helmut, it was so good to talk to you and learn more about uh, your yeah, theories you. and your thinking on, on Jesus and on the Shroud. Thank you so much. Okay. Goodbye.